Remind your nation, let's ride. But Don Nealon's Mountaineers enjoy walking in where angels fear to tread. Harrison trouble, stiff arms, the would-be tackler comes out of the 25 to 20, goes around about it to 15 to 10 to 5, a touchdown with Virginia, he did it! to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. And now, the show brought to you by Mountaineer fans, for Mountaineer fans, the Country Road Webcast. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into Season 5, Episode 154 of the CRW Podcast here to update the WVU football offseason as we continue to progress throughout, get closer to spring football. We're going to bring you guys a little offseason news and notes edition of the podcast here. Of course, we're going to get into our traditional segments, off-topic babble, Mountaineer news, but then Bradley's going to join me and we're going to talk a little bit about this off-season news for West Virginia, that being the Mountaineers completing the coaching staff. Finally, we're going to discuss the finalized version of the 2023 West Virginia football coaching staff, as well as the transfers in, kind of talk about our favorites that have come into the new Mountaineer football program and will be playing a part on the field to help the Mountaineers in the 2023 season. So we'll get into both of those things, the coaches on the field, as well as some new players coming in and some fun offseason discussion there in our main topic segment there as we discuss that. But before that, of course, we will have off-topic babble and Mountaineer news. To lead off with our off-topic babble segment, I figured it'd be fun with this being our first show of 2023 to go back and kind of give my top 10 movies of 2022. I know in off-topic babble, that's usually what I talk about is movies that I've seen. So going throughout the season last year, you guys heard a lot about these movies. So I figured why not share my ranking of my top 10 movies of 2022. So that's what I'm going to get into here for off-topic babble. All right, so as I said, for Off Topic Babble here on Season 5, Episode 154 of the CRW Podcast, I want to get into my 2022 film rankings, my top 10 movies of the year for 2022, my personal list here, which this is actually the screen I'm sharing if you're watching on the video side. is coming from Letterboxd.com, which you can get the Letterboxd app on your phone. Actually, that's what I usually do to do these rankings. And you follow me on there if you want. There's my name right there. It's just JC Cruz. Um, if you do have Letterboxd and want to give me a follow on there, and uh, we'll check out each other's stuff. Um, it's kind of fun. It's basically just a social media for movie reviews, movie rankings, stuff like that. So being the film junkie that I am, that you guys know that listen to the podcast, of course, here in Off Topic Babble. It's uh, one of my favorite apps, one of my favorite things to uh, play around with. But that being said, I'll kind of scroll through here uh, slowly so you guys can see some of the, I guess, would be honorable mentions from my ranking in, two, in 2022, um, as I'm only going to give you guys the top 10. But I'll name off some of these um, honorable mentions that really stood out to me, though, uh, this year as I go through, you know, watching a lot of movies as I do. 
But uh, for me, I guess standouts honorable mention wise that are below the top 10 just kind of missed the cut. Uh, Violent Night, I know I talked about that. That was a lot of fun. The uh, David Harbour Santa Claus movie is basically Die Hard with Santa Claus, but they also mixed in some Home Alone stuff and you get Beverly D'Angelo from Christmas Vacation. So not only do they play a lot with the Christmas tropes, but they even bring in some nostalgic Christmas feels for you with the Die Hard concepts, the Home Alone concepts, and then bringing in cameos from actors and other Christmas movies. So I enjoyed Violent Night. That's an honorable mention that stood out. Bullet Train, Netflix movie, great action flick. I didn't watch it until, you know, just probably about a month ago or so, but I really enjoyed that one as well. Brad Pitt action movie. I thought that was a little bit underrated. And then X, I finally got a chance to watch. Uh, you guys know I'm a horror junkie. Haven't got a chance to watch Pearl yet, but uh, Ty West X, really well done uh, film there if you like slashers. Nope, of course, got a shout out Jordan Peele at number 14 for me on the year. Loved Get Out, loved us even more than Get Out, uh, two of my favorite films that you know I've seen in recent years. So unfortunately for me, Nope's a little bit below those, but I really still enjoyed it. If you love Aliens and that type of stuff, you'll enjoy Nope a lot. And if you love Jordan Peele in general, you still get those underlying themes and hidden subtexts and things like that that are always fun to look for in his movies. So I enjoyed Nope a lot. And then Elvis, of course, just missing the cut for me at number 11. I think everyone knows Austin butler absolutely phenomenal performance as elvis in that biopic so that's kind of some honorable mentions now getting into the nitty-gritty here in off-topic babble with my top 10 films of 2022 which just want to say before i get into this here on off-topic babble really appreciate you guys tuning into this episode of the crw podcast whether you're tuned into the video version or the audio version, video version, of course, on our YouTube and on the WV Sports Now YouTube. Find our show and a lot of great West Virginia sports content on the web there at WVSportsNow.com. But if you're tuned into either one of those video versions, just do us a little favor real quick. Scroll down right there, hit that thumbs up button, give us a like. It really helps this video's performance, and then that in turn helps future videos' performances on the channel here at the Country Roads webcast. And if you're a West Virginia fan, be sure and hit that subscribe button. Plenty of Mountaineer sports content coming out, and it helps get more of it out to Mountaineer Nation. And then if you're listening on the audio side, of course, you can find it on any podcast platform you like, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. Be sure and share the show around on any of those platforms. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. That really helps out as well. With no further ado, my top 10 films of 2022, starting at number 10, of course. Actually, A Christmas Story Christmas. Not a movie I expected to hit my top 10 films of the year, but really well done, I thought. And I think if you're a fan of the original Christmas Story, you really like this movie. So if you haven't seen it, you know, give it a chance. Maybe next Christmas. I know a lot of people probably don't want to watch Christmas movies outside of the holiday season, but it was really well done. Nostalgic and, you know, some great hit some great points there You know, when you're talking about father-son relationships and even dealing with grief in some areas and things like that. I'll try not to spoil too much there, but uh, really well done, I thought. So Christmas Story Christmas, get Peter Billingsley back as Ralphie, and I really enjoyed that one. So he my number 10 number nine the gray man another netflix original great action flick you get chris evans and you get ryan gosling i always love seeing ryan gosling in an action flick drives an amazing movie but here in the gray man the reason that it ranked so high for me on this one is because just watching it it felt like i was back in you know the 90s watching an action flick or even one of those 80s style action flicks it just felt very nostalgic that we haven't really gotten as much here you know in the last 20 years or so it's kind of gone the wayside there's really not too many of those Left used to get those all the time. I love those, you know, Steven Seagal movies, John Claude Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, you know, the list goes on, Stallone. But 
you know, I think that this kind of had the vibe of those type of movies, just those old school action flicks. So that's why The Gray Man hit up for number nine for me. Number eight, Scream 5, bringing Scream back. Of course, I'm a huge fan of the Scream movies. It was odd getting one without Wes Craven, you know, rest in peace to one of the greatest horror directors ever. But you guys know, being a horror fan, I was super excited for this one. Scream, one of my favorite horror movies of all time, talking about the original, the first Scream from 1996. And so when they announced this, I was super excited, especially when they announced a lot of the original cast was returning. Even another original cast member who I won't spoil from that first movie, just in case you guys haven't seen it, kind of makes a surprise appearance there in Scream 5. And the reason that this one ranked so high for me, it was actually higher a lot of the year. It was in the top five, but of course, some movies that I saw later really jumped over it. But I think it's really high for me because it really does tie back to that original Scream movie that, I, like I said earlier, I like so much the one from 1996 and i think that a lot of it just focuses on that original scream the original one you know a lot of it ties back into it so so that put it up there pretty high on my list at number eight number seven a movie that i finally got a chance to watch just about a month and a half ago and that is the menu i'd heard people raving about this since fantastic fest the film festival that it debuted at way back when but i finally got a chance to watch it once it released on hbo max and this movie is great it's fantastic ralph fines gives an awesome performance nicholas Holt does as well. Anya Taylor-Joy on The Money too. Just really good. I mean, it's I wouldn't describe it as horror personally. To me, it's more of a dark comedy. I guess it just depends on what your taste is like and you know what your palate is like, I guess, and used to as far as horror is concerned because there are some horrific elements in the movie. But to me, it was hilarious. I was dying laughing the whole time. It was just dark comedy, really well done movie. And it'll leave you thinking. It's one of those movies that kind of at the end, you'll have to look it up. What does this mean? What does that mean? And I love movies like that. And uh, that's why I got up here for me at number seven, cracking the top 10. And then at number six, we got another Netflix original, actually. And this one I was super excited about because I really enjoyed the first one. It was up in you know my top movies of the year when it came out. The first one being Knives Out, the second one here being Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel, ranking as my sixth movie of 2022. I think Ryan Johnson, you know, with original material, really does a great job. I say that because we all know that he also directed uh, the episode eight of Star Wars, which, you know, that's a whole other subject I'm not going to get into uh, with The Last Jedi. But uh, Glass Onion, I thought Ryan Johnson really did great with this one. I think I ultimately may have enjoyed this even more than the original one, just because the way it's presented is so unique and different. Um, you know, after watching the first Knives Out, you're kind of looking to see where stuff going to take place. And they really take it kind of a different direction and throw you for a loop. And to the point that this movie is good the first time you watch it. But once you watch it, you're going to have to go back and watch it a second time because the entire first half of the movie, there are things going on that you don't even know about until the second half of the movie. And then upon a rewatch, you can really look at it through a different lens. And I thought that was so cool and really well done. And especially there's a part in the movie once you start to learn some things, they go back and kind of retell the beginning of the movie, but from different characters, POVs, so you get to see different things you didn't see before in same scenes that you've already seen throughout the movie. And that was really awesome. I thought something I hadn't seen before. So it definitely was a favorite of mine this year. Gets up there in number six. So, all right, top five now, guys. Uh, number five right here for me. Uh, you know that this one's near and dear to my heart. As big of a Kevin Smith fan as I am, those that know me closely know it's uh, – Kind of crazy how big of a Kevin Smith fan I am, but Clerks 3, I thought he did an excellent job. One of his better films I've seen in years. I think that to me, it's top five best films he's ever made. I put it even ahead of Clerks 2. And for me, I really like it because it shows 
it's still hilarious because, I mean, obviously it's a Clerks movie. You're going to get the comedy. But I think in Clerks 3, it kind of shows Kevin Smith's growth, not only as a filmmaker, but as a person, because it really involves some of his personal things that he's gone through in his life recently in Clerks 3. And also Clerks 3 is a very emotional movie, which is something I didn't expect going in. Obviously, you're expecting to laugh, which you do. There's a ton of laughing. So it really was a good job of balancing the comedy, but also adding some different emotional elements as well. And I thought it really hit home, especially if you're a Kevin Smith fan. If you're a fan of the Clerks movie series, you're really going to love this. Great callbacks to that original film. And that's something that I do like when some of these reboots are coming back. The ones that really pay homage to like the original film, you know what I talked about with Scream and stuff the one that you hold so near and dear that your heart that you're that is the reason you're watching the reboot or the sequel or whatever and if they really pay homage to that I think that's well done and Clerks 3 definitely does that uh love Kevin Smith and I absolutely love this movie that's why it hits my top five number four obviously one of the biggest movies of the year one of the most talked about movies during 2022 especially during the summer it was the film of the summer I guess you could say and that's Top Gun Maverick uh, they waited for forever to release this. You know, they were kind of pushing Tom Cruise to release it on streaming during the pandemic. And they finally waited it out, waited it out, and waited it out. And very smart to do so. They made a killing. It was one of the most talked about movies of the, of the year, like I said. And really great theater experience. It was so awesome that the way that they did it. And like I was talking about earlier with the Gray Man and the old action movies, and you don't really get that anymore. Tom Cruise is almost kind of like the last remnant of that. The guy that does his own stunts, does crazy things. And uh, all of his movies, you can really tell, you know, how hard he works at them. And uh, you could definitely tell that in Top Gun Maverick. And same thing I said with Clerks 3 and Scream, of course, pays great homage to that original film. Love that movie from the 80s, the original Top Gun, as I'm sure most of us do. And that's why a lot of us went to go see this movie. But really well done. One of the better reboots you'll get. Top Gun Maverick number four for me. Top three, here we go. Number three, I finally got a chance to watch this one in the past month or so, and I've watched it a couple times actually since then. But at Steven Spielberg's new movie, The Fablemans, if you haven't heard of it yet, what you're basically getting here is Steven Spielberg telling his life story, or at least a portion of it, you know, his younger life up until the time when he finally got into the film industry and just kind of changing the character's name to Sammy Fableman rather than using his own name because he thought it would be a little bit too pretentious is what he said. But I think if you're a fan of writing, directing, or you know, filmmaking in any aspect, really, uh, this is a movie for you because it's absolutely awesome just kind of watching him fall in love with the craft and the love letter that it is to film is really awesome to me and it really hit my heart. I mean, the first time I watched it, I'm not going to lie to you guys, I was – tearing up like 30 seconds into the movie and that just continued throughout uh really well done and i'm sure i know he's nominated for uh i know it's nominated for best picture i think steven spielberg's nominated for best director at the oscars as well so hopefully he's able to bring home another one because spielberg certainly deserves it so the fablemans is my number three definitely check that out if you haven't already Number two and number one, I think I talked about both these on the podcast in the past. When I first watched them, they were both up near the top. I wondered if they'd stay there, and they did indeed. Number two actually has the most nominations at the Oscars this year. I think it has 11 nominations in total, if I'm not mistaken. But that's everything, everywhere, all at once. This movie is so awesome. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. I mean, it, it, it's wild. It's out there. Now, go in with an open mind because it's going to take you some places that you're not expecting for sure. And maybe some of it's a little bit, you know, too much for you, a little bit too corny. That's kind of the criticisms I've heard about. Some of it is I was with it until, you know, they went a little bit too far with it or whatever. But for me, they just nailed it perfectly, hit it just right, I think. And um, not only is it 
wild and crazy adventure that's an adrenaline ride, but it's also funny and it has some really great heartfelt moments as well. Um, the fans of the Goonies, you get data returning. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, was a child actor and had quit the business for years and years and finally comes back for this movie and puts on an awesome performance that'll really, you know, be a tearjerker, some of his lines and stuff. His return, I think, is a really awesome story. I think he's nominated as well for an Oscar, as he should be for his performance in this one, as the lead is um, in this movie as well. And she does an awesome job. Um, like I said, a lot of nominations for this movie, and they're well-deserved. If you haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, watch it Immediately, I definitely recommend it. Literally, as soon as the 4K came out, the day that it came out, I went and bought it. Um, definitely my number two movie of the year. It was very close to being my number one, but my number one movie has remained my number one movie since I saw it. It was my number one movie in the ranking immediately after I watched it. I wondered if it would stay there because it was so early in the year. I believe it was in March, if I'm not mistaken. But that is The Batman. Matt Reeves film The Batman. It's everything I've always wanted a Batman movie to be. I love the fact that Gotham's like its own character in the film, and it's just got this dark and gritty undertone, and you get detective-style Batman like you've never seen it before. I absolutely love Matt Reeves' The Batman. I think it's the best Batman film ever made, and I think it was the best film of the year for me, my favorite film of the year. I've seen it you know, three or four times now. Some people think it's a little bit too lengthy. I do think, you know, there's some things you could have cut out of it. Maybe you get 20 minutes off of it, but it doesn't kill anything for me, the length of it. I, I'm never bored. It's I, I love the movie. It's an absolute masterpiece if you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of Batman from the comic books. It really just has that feel that I don't think they had captured yet up until this point, the rainy Gotham. And that, like I said, to me, that's really what stands out to me. It almost feels like Gotham City its own character in this film. They nailed it in a way that it hasn't been nailed before. And Robert Pattinson, I know there was some skepticism about him playing Batman, but I think that went away after this movie. And I can't wait for part two in 2025. And I love the fact that they're keeping it separate from the regular DC universe. And it's its own Elseworlds story. And they're just going to build their own Batman universe that's separate from the Batman that will be in the DCU coming up as they start that in 20. 25 as well but having said that awesome film of course watch it if you haven't already it's on hbo max right now i do believe but the batman from matt reeves excellently written excellently directed just well put together and you know can't say enough good things about the movie the score is phenomenal the score when batman comes out it's kind of reminiscent of you know darth vader's theme in the star wars movies a little bit but it's so awesome especially when you get that first appearance and it's raining and you don't hear anything but the raindrops and then you just start hearing his heavy footsteps and that theme kicks in oh man it gives me chills just thinking about it guys so definitely the batman is my number one movie of 2022 so wanted to share with you guys my top 10 films of 2022 here for off topic babble but of course this is i'm not saying these are the best films of 2022 just my own personal favorites so you know my list is just my list but i would love to hear your all's list what are some films that you guys enjoyed throughout 2022 if you're watching on the youtube side let us know in the comments i'd love to hear your all's opinions and be able to interact with you guys a little bit on some of this off-topic stuff as well just like we do with the west virginia stuff that's why i always love including this off-topic babble segment in the podcast but having said that let's get back to our main topic at hand that being our west virginia mountaineers of course and let's dive in here on some mountaineer news <laughs> All right, so for this segment of Mountaineer News here on Season 5, Episode 154 of the CRW Podcast, there's only one real topic to discuss, and that is, of course, the 2023 football schedules finally being released by the Big 12 Conference, so we now know 
who the Mountaineers will play and when with the four new teams coming into the conference. That was certainly a subject that a lot of people were interested in seeing. So let's take a look at West Virginia's schedule here. If you're tuned in on the video side, I've got it pulled up here, shared on the screen with you to look along with me. But of course, I will announce it all out for you guys on the audio side as well. Starting the season September 2nd, West Virginia travels to Penn State. Next week, September 9th, they come back home to play Duquesne. Then on September 16th, they will play the backyard brawl in Morgantown against Pitt. September 23rd, the next week at home again against Texas Tech. Then back on the road on September 30th to take on TCU. Then you get a short bye week because you play a Thursday game on October 12th against Houston on the road. So West Virginia does face Dana Holgerson in his first year back in the Big 12. However, this game does not take place in Morgantown. It takes place in Houston. To me, that's kind of unfortunate. would have loved to see it in Morgantown. Hopefully Dana sticks around for another season in Houston following this season so that he gets the chance to have that return trip to Morgantown, hopefully, and we get to get him back in West Virginia, and that'll be a lot of fun for that one. But I'm sure that game on Thursday night at Houston will still be a lot of fun. Then on October 21st, the Mountaineers come back home to play Oklahoma State before going on the road to Orlando to play another one of the new teams in the conference in UCF. Mountaineers come back home on November 4th, play BYU, so you avoid the trip to Provo at least. That's nice. And then you've got an away game on November 11th against Oklahoma. And then West Virginia comes back home for their final home game of the season on November 18th against Cincinnati. And then West Virginia's final game of the 2023 season will be on the road on November 25th against the Baylor Bears. So if you're looking there, West Virginia is one of only a couple teams, I believe, in the Big 12 Conference that will play all four of the new incoming Big 12 teams. Looking on the schedule there, as you see, West Virginia plays Houston, UCF, BYU, and Cincinnati, which means West Virginia doesn't play four teams throughout the Big 12, and those are Texas, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State. So those are the teams West Virginia has played for the past decade every year that they will not be playing this upcoming season and instead replacing those with the four new Big 12 teams. So honestly, looking at this schedule, just kind of my thoughts. I love the fact that West Virginia gets to play, you know, Cincinnati and UCF. That was kind of my main thing with it. I wanted to see West Virginia play the other Eastern time zone teams at least. But I love the fact that West Virginia gets to play all four of the new teams. That's great. The only concern I have about this schedule is you have a brutal opening here if you're talking first four or five games. Penn State on the road, they're going to be probably a top five team. Pitt's going to be good again, probably a top 25 opponent. We know Neil Brown struggled against Texas Tech, hasn't beat them to this point 0-4. And then you go on the road to TCU, who's you know maybe the top team in the Big 12 Conference again coming in in 2023. So tough stretch there in your first five games. I mean, you're going to get Duquesne, but you got to hopefully get at least one more of those other games. Don't want to start one and four, but the second half of the schedule sets up pretty nicely for West Virginia, so if you can get out of that maybe at two and three, you got a chance to have a decent season, but man, those first five games are brutal, and when you got a coach on the hot seat, of course, that's got you wondering if there's got a chance to be a mid-season coaching change. Personally, I don't see it happen. It's Like I said, I've said in the past, it's just not something that West Virginia traditionally does, but this schedule certainly leads you to that line of thinking when you're looking at those first five games, I think. But other than that, 
I think it's a pretty good schedule for West Virginia, especially on the back half. Like I said, love you playing all four of the new teams. Um, wish Houston was coming to Morgantown. Wish the first five was a little bit easier. Those are kind of my complaints. But overall, won't complain too much with the draw that West Virginia got here, being one of the only teams to get to play all the new Big 12 Conference teams. But that's pretty much what I wanted to cover here in Mountaineer News. Be sure and let us know your thoughts on the West Virginia schedule here for the 2023 season and how you think it may turn out for the Mountaineers in the comments down below if you're tuned in on the video side. That being said, let's dive in here on our main topic of this episode of the CRW Podcast as me and Bradley get into our off-season news and notes discussion discussing the coaching changes and the now-completed West Virginia coaching staff as well as some players that have transferred in and our thoughts on the upcoming West Virginia roster for the 2023 season as we get closer to spring football. All right, Mountaineer Nation, here we are with our main topic segment for Season 5, Episode 154 here of the CRW Podcast. Got some off-season news updates to talk about, those being coaching changes on the West Virginia football coaching staff now finalized and completing the staff for the 2023 season. And, of course, we got some transfer news. Wouldn't be an off-season without talking transfers. Got some transfers in that have came in for West Virginia now that we can talk about here. So, Bringing in my great co-host here, Bradley, to talk some Mountaineer off-season news with these coaching changes and transfer uh, transfer updates. Uh, Bradley, how's it going, brother? It's going pretty good, man. Just living that life, putting you know, focusing on the day at hand and moving on to the next one when it comes. You know. Oh yeah, got to, got to. I know how that goes. Absolutely. So. Uh, before we get too far into this, uh, you, I'm sure if you're watching uh, here on the video side, if you're listening on the audio side, we'll give it out for you. Bradley's Twitter there, at Big Bubba Brad, CRW. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a little dry here recently because I've just been, you know, still in the process of moving and everything and getting set up. So um, I'm hoping this summer, though, things are going to start getting a little bit more smooth, going to have a little bit more free time on my hands. So definitely going to start popping back into recruiting because that's when it's going to start getting hot. So I hope to be posting from there more here soon. Absolutely. So be on the lookout for that Mountaineer Nation. Give him a follow there for sure. Uh, some good content there. More Mountaineer news updates and Mountaineer recruiting updates coming in the future for you guys there. But here in the present time, of course, like I said, transfer news and coaching news. Let's start with the coaching side, Brad. Uh, we'll just go through them individually, I guess. West Virginia, first one we'll talk about, I guess, will be Bilal Marshall coming to West Virginia as wide receivers coach. I know that one's kind of been a little bit of a way uh, off now. There were some other names that guys were talking about potentially wanting. I know Stedman Bailey's name came up. Ryan Switzer kind of was name coming up as well. That was a fan favorite. But ultimately, West Virginia goes with the guy that they have experience with in Bilal Marshall. You know, now finalized and confirmed by the university, and he's going to be West Virginia's wide receivers coach. Do you like the move? And kind of what are your thoughts on this first coaching move we'll talk about here? Yeah, it was definitely an interesting move. And to me, it almost felt like more of a – it definitely wasn't a splash. I think a lot of people question, you know, who this is. And people inside the program knew who he was. But it, to me, it felt more like a refinement. Like they're getting guys that they can really trust that like are future guys. And they're just like, hey, jump in here and do what you can. And, you know, it's going to be all hands on board. Like everybody's just going to be trying to get this thing turned around. And so it's just like we're going to grab who we think is going to put their most effort into it, the most heart into it. And we're just going to see if we can – make this your splash, you know? I agree with you. Yeah, well, then that left West Virginia looking for, we knew they needed an offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach as Graham Harrell served as both of those um, last season for the Mountaineers. 
left for Purdue. So West Virginia was looking for an offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach. So we, you know, kind of were expecting a hire that would maybe fill both of those roles. Instead, West Virginia promotes Chad Scott, who I know you and I have both talked about in the past, being a fan of and being one of the best assistant coaches on this staff. And if you were going to promote somebody, that's who we were hoping to see. So I know that we're excited about that. So then West Virginia was still left looking for a quarterbacks coach. The interesting move that they pull there, of course, is actually moving Sean Reagan back to quarterbacks coach and actually hiring a tight ends coach in Blaine Stewart, son of the late great West Virginia coach Bill Stewart, to serve as tight ends coach for the 2023 season. So those three moves are kind of how West Virginia completes the coaching staff in all here. We've talked about Bilal Marshall. Let's talk a little bit about Chad Scott now. Maybe the most significant move of the three here, of course, considering that he's going to be the offensive coordinator. I know that we all kind of assume this probably means Neil Brown's going to call the plays for the 2023 season, but in Neil Brown's most recent press conference, he actually surprised me a little bit as he hinted that Chad Scott will get to call plays at least in the spring. So it almost seems like maybe the spring will be a little bit of an audition period for Chad Scott to potentially serve as the offense's play caller in 2023, Bradley. But what do you think about uh, the move of Chad Scott's promotion, and do you think he'll get a chance to call the plays? Yeah, I think if anything, you know, people might debate Neil Brown on like uh, his coaching calls and stuff like that, but I think that he's been very self-aware of his situation. He's like really known that he's not lived up to expectations. He'll tell you that. He's been the first guy to tell you that. And I think that you kind of have to respect it. You know, he's not trying to hide it at all. He's not trying to sugarcoat things. He's like, you know, we've not been a good product. This is entertainment. People don't want to watch it. Fans aren't happy. They have every right to not be happy. And so I think that letting Chad Scott come in and like give him a chance, like, why not? You know, if he can do better than me, why not give him a chance? And, you know, some people feel like they didn't see that in Graham Harrell. And I, I don't know fully on that situation, but I know he trusts Chad Scott probably more than he trusted Graham Harrell. And so he's going to have a better chance than Graham Harrell did maybe. So kudos to Chad Scott. He's got a hell of a room there. Um, CJ Donaldson has been talking killer. He's been, you know, I think that guy's going to come in and have a crazy year. Um, and I think that's because he's inspired by Chad Scott and the program, and that could be the spark that we honestly needed. Um, down to Blaine Stewart, though, uh, and I feel the same way Sean Reagan, too. I feel like it's a trust thing. He's like, you know, um, it's a full indicator that Neil Brown's just buckling down the hatches, getting guys you can trust, and just either it's going to work or it's not, and that's where we're at. And so Blaine Stewart's one of those guys that he believes are really going to pitch in and give it his all because he has those West Virginia roots. Yeah, I, th I think so, too. And I think along with that, to me, it's a move that – they're kind of hoping and, and maybe I think in some aspects has kind of rallied the fan base a little bit. And I think that's maybe what they were hoping with it because that's one of the things I know we talked about previously when we talked about really some of these coaching moves white, when we were yeah. doing our – yeah, our off-season wish list we were talking about, you know, getting a guy like a Pat White, somebody that will really get the fan base bought back in. And so on a different level, I think they kind of do that a little bit because, you know, everyone had great respect for Bill Stewart, you know, be the feelings what they may about his tenure here. I know a lot of people have mixed feelings there, but complete, you know, that discussion aside, everyone respected him as a man and as a person, and he's always beloved uh, throughout Mountaineer Nation and, of course, loved West Virginia and the university. And so bringing in his son, I think, you know, the fans are going to love that move. So I think you add that aspect as well. I think that's maybe something they – a card they were trying to play there with that move as well, possibly. Yeah, I still would like to have seen Poway, but, you know, I get it. I think that the reason – so I think that they probably had a chance at Pat White. I think that they probably could have had a chance at Pat White if the 
situation wasn't as bad it is as it is. I think that is definitely um, an outcome of people not trusting Neil Brown and like not wanting to attach their name to this. I like that could be absolutely wrong. That's how I feel about it though. And I think that, you know, it's understandable. It, you know, I would understand why people like Clint Trickett wouldn't want ne- to necessarily jump aboard this ship that could be gone in a year. And so, you know, I, I definitely think that that's a symptom of this. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say to play devil's advocate with this, that's the one thing that people can kind of point to. I think when you're promoting from within for that offensive coordinator position and you're, you're moving back a guy that you had kind of moved away from the position coach and quarterbacks in with uh, Sean Reagan, that people can kind of point to that as the aspect of what you're talking about is maybe that's just because people don't want to come. And we know for a fact that Clint Trickett was, you know, courted. Don't know if he was offered the job, actually. That wasn't exactly the words that was used, but we know there were certainly talks there. And when you have a coach that's potentially on the hot seat, some people, you know, want to use the term lame duck even, it's going to be hard to get a guy to come there for one year. You know, job security is one of the most important things in this coaching business and one of the hardest things to come by, I think, is job security. And that's something that coaches are always seeking. So when you got a coach on the hot seat, I don't know if people want to potentially come in. So do you think that, you know, some of these moves, do you think that it's a result of that? They tried other things and then ultimately – now we're going to have to go in-house. We'll just promote Chad, and we'll move Sean over to quarterbacks. Do you think that that was, if they had a short list, was that option C, was that option D, or do you think it was you know, higher on the higher on the board and something they actually really wanted to do? I mean, it was realistically probably a top-to-bottom thing where they're like, okay, who's going to be the best offensive coordinator? You know, like, what's our best bet? If it's Chad Scott, then, like, let's just, like, do some in-house arrangement maybe, you know, and then you just go from there. I definitely believe that they probably got the best guy that would accept the job. So I'm sure that they wanted people that weren't by a lot of Even though they love having him, they think that he's a great candidate for the job, but they want to hire him. And so it's just like, you know, I definitely think they probably um, got to that point though because people said, no, yeah, I think some of these are hires because of that. But I don't think that they're the wrong hire. I just don't think that, no, I, don't you know, I think that that's a reason some people said no. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, th- I think both can kind of be true. They may have not have been option A, but I also don't think that they were like the worst option that was at the very bottom after you've done exhorted everything else. You're like, oh, we're going to have to promote this guy. Because it's not, you know, it's not that type of a move, I don't think. I think Chad Scott's a guy where you look, he's had success throughout his career. His whole time he's been here, he's been successful. And I think it's really just a matter of, Let's give him a chance. He deserves this. You know, he probably should have already had this chance. And that's why I'm kind of hoping that maybe he does get to call the plays as well because I think he, he does deserve it indeed. So I think, you know, as to what you're saying, yeah, I think both are true a little bit. They probably went out and tried to get some guys and couldn't because, you know, the job security thing was an issue. But I also think Chad Scott's a great option and certainly probably wasn't their lowest on the totem pole option, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, if you're like, say you're a developmental program, why can't that be for coaches too? Chad Scott has done great things and has gotten better since he's been here. We should definitely reward him. And I believe that thoroughly because that's how you build trust, man. You want to keep people around and have people really want to give it their all. Reward them when they do great things. Recognize success. Absolutely, as, as we should. But I've got a theory that I've kind of developed lately. I don't know. I think I, I put this up on uh, one of the videos on YouTube. I'm pretty sure. I can't, I'm not 100% sure which one off the top of my head right now. But um, this is kind of something that I've gathered, you know, recently. Um, 
and one of the things Neil Brown said in his press conference kind of made it stick out to me. He made the comment that he really didn't get involved in the offense last year until the final three or four games of the season, which I think we all saw the offense take a turn during that time. And, you know, I got to thinking what coincided with that time frame was Shane Lyons being fired just before, you know, those three or four games in which Neil Brown said he got involved with the offense. So I think ultimately, you know, thinking back on it, it feels like to me that bringing in Graham Harrell was probably a Shane Lyons move, in my opinion, last offseason. But they didn't want to, you know, come out and say that. So, you know, told Neil, Uh just address it as this, that you want to do this and that. Because I think looking at it now with, you know, hindsight being 2020, the fact that Neil Brown is kind of wanting to go back to Sean Reagan as quarterback's coach kind of shows me that maybe he didn't really want to divert from that path. He still would have kept Sean Reagan as quarterback's coach. And even if he lost Jerry Parker, maybe he would have called the plays. But I think uh, Shane Lyons made the move, you know, from the outside looking in. You know, our defense has been good. Offense has been bad. Let's make a move to improve that. I'm going to bring in a coordinator and quarterback's coach and kind of put – Graham Harrell on Neil Brown, maybe that played a part in Shane Lyons firing. Maybe it didn't. But I think just the moves that we're seeing now kind of play into that to me. And then when my ears kind of perked up when I heard Neil Brown say that about the final three or four games of the season, because I think once Shane Lyons was gone, then maybe, you know, he felt like he didn't have to adhere to the mandate of Graham Harrell having more autonomy. He got more involved in those final three or four games. And then that also makes sense of why Graham Harrell would leave with still years on his contract for what could potentially be considered a lateral move going to Purdue. And then, of course, what Neil Brown's done this offseason, promoting from within and moving Sean Reagan to quarterback's coach kind of shows that maybe he wanted to stick with Sean Reagan as quarterback's coach all along, and Shane Lyons is the one that made that move. I don't know. That's just kind of what I've been looking, kind of reading the tea leaves. Yeah, I, that's definitely – and I haven't thought about that either. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just, you know, I can see Shane Lyons kind of like wanting to force that move and be like, hey, you haven't gotten things right. Here's my decision. Let's inject this really great offensive coordinator and you give it a shot. And maybe Nell Brown was trying to stick to his man as Nell Brown does, <laughs> you know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. by that. And, you know, the Shane Lyons being gone and the first thing that they do is, you know – reverse a few things. First off, take a step back, turn around and put Sean Reagan back where it was. And, you know, and maybe with Graham Harrell, you get JT Daniels. And, like, then it's not necessarily even what Neil Brown wanted to see at all anyway. You know, he was wanting to play Gary Green. Who knows? Nico Marquio. Well, it could speak to why there were some issues there with the offense. It could have been a chemistry chemistry thing even if – because, you know, those, like, forced marriages aren't always, you know, the best for a locker room if – Indeed, Graham Harrell wasn't somebody that Neil Brown personally went out and gotten. It was somebody that was, you know, put on him by the athletic director and Shane Lyons. That could have caused issues there, too. So, who knows? Absolutely. I mean, it definitely answers a lot of questions that people have been asking. All right. So, then, uh, of course, offseason-wise, that's kind of the coaching staff for West Virginia. So, pretty much everything else seems to be staying the same for the Mountaineers, aside from a new wide receivers coach in Bilal Marshall, new tight ends coach now in Blaine Stewart, and the new quarterbacks coach being Sean Reagan, who moved over from tight ends, and Chad Scott staying at running backs coach, but now will be serving as West Virginia's offensive coordinator. Unknown if he'll call the plays. Up for debate if it will be him or Neil Brown calling the plays. But we do know, according to Neil Brown, Chad Scott will at least call some plays for West Virginia in the spring. So hopefully that will turn into something in the future as well. We'll have to see how that pans out. But going through the offseason, we know coaching changes is always a news a news point with the coaching carousel spinning around, of course. 
the coaching changes is always a point of news. But the other point of news that you got to talk about throughout the offseason, of course, is the transfer portal. And for West Virginia, they have gotten some good transfers in. I think some have gone underrated a little bit due to coming from, you know, lower tier schools. We've talked about them a little bit, Brad, but uh, just to re- as a refresher, the names that have transferred in to West Virginia, wide receiver Ja'Shawn Polk from Kent State, defensive back Montre Miller from Kent State, tight end Cole Taylor from LSU, a defensive lineman in Devon Hawkins from Tennessee State, a kicker in Michael Hayes from Georgia State, a defensive back in Keyshawn Cobb from Buffalo, a wide receiver from Devin Carter in NC State, and a, def- and a defensive lineman, Fatorma Mulba from Penn State. Out of those names, Brad, um, which ones are you most excited about? And, you know, looking forward to head to 2023 for kind of projecting out uh, these transfers. Which ones have really stuck out to you that the Mountaineers have been able to garner heading into the spring here? Gotcha. And I'm going to try to go off of, like I said, I haven't been able to get on the Twitter as much as I usually would to keep up with this because this is the kind of stuff that I love. This is like my favorite part of the whole football game. I'm having to miss it. So (laughs) the guy from – Georgia State, that's the kicker, right? Or is that the – Yeah, the guy? kicker from Georgia State. Uh, yeah, gotcha. The there's kicker a, there's Georgia a tackle State. that's also from a small state. Michael Hayes. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Devon Hawkins, uh, Day-Day Hawkins yeah. is the uh, defensive lineman, yeah. Yeah, I saw some excitement around him. And then at Carter from NC State. That one definitely stuck out to me. Because that's, we we yeah. talked about that's so we talked about like trying to find the wide receiver that is like going to be it, and I said that I wanted one absolute stud, diamond, top star wide receiver, and then all the young guys to play. And I think Devin Carter is the closest something to get to that, but I don't think that it, you know it's definitely lower on the totem pole than I would have wanted. But hey, if the kid comes in and balls, he'll have a real fan of me. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think so, too. And I think, you know, West Virginia added Sean Polk as well. I think he's going to, you know, factor in at the slot. But I don't think he's going to – he may not be a starter at wide receiver, but I think he's going to be the Mountaineers' kick returner. So, I think he's really going to help there. So, I think West Virginia will potentially still add another wide receiver to help them more, you know, on the offensive side rather than just special teams. Not that Polk can't help them offensively, but I think he was added more specifically for special teams. Whereas Devin Carter, we heard Neil Brown say in his press conference, they believe he is a bona fide number one wide receiver and will be for the team this upcoming season. And so I think he's got a really high ceiling and they have, you know, seem to be highly regarded by this coaching staff. We'll see how that pans out. We know um, how their comments have gone, you know, in offseason in regards to some players. Some have panned out, some haven't. So we'll see. But I think Devin Carter is certainly one to watch. They don't have the best record with uh, identifying talent so far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's about uh, 50-50. It's big time, hit or miss there for sure. But, you know, the interesting story with Devin Carter, of course, was he had already committed to uh, Penn State in early January. They were expecting him to enroll and then ends up enrolling at West Virginia. So that was pretty cool for West Virginia to pull off that coup and then him just end up enrolling at WVU. I thought that was a neat story and a good job by the coaching staff to steal, you know, wide receiver. Bryce Ford Wheaton, right? Yeah, and they had the relationship with Bryce Ford Wheaton that helped to close that out and going to be, you know – filling his spot basically so that's pretty uh pretty cool story and then you know interesting i heard neil brown say in the press conference as well you know i i had to go back and rewind it and make sure i wasn't crazy but also said that uh devin carter's mother is actually from you know the princeton west virginia area yeah, so shout like, out well, to that's interesting 
Yeah, down here in Mercer County. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Speaking of Princeton, go uh, Coos put out a couple of videos on the guys from Princeton that are. Uh, I think they went on a visit uh, a couple of their high school players. So go check those out. Oh yeah, I saw that. Uh, I actually just watched one of them today. The quarterback uh, got a chance to come this – he would be for this season. And, you know, West Virginia does need bodies in the quarterback room, only three scholarship quarterbacks. He had a pretty prolific career. And then the other one is the offensive lineman, which would be a 2024 recruit. So both players to watch got to hopefully keep those in-state kids at home and get them to go to WVU, whether it be scholarship or preferred walk-on. So hopefully WVU is able to get both those. But, yeah, both those videos were awesome. You guys check those out over yeah. at Coos's Corner. Preston Fox YouTube. just got a scholarship, so you never know, man. Yeah, exactly. It happens all the time. West Virginia's had a few players, you know, in recent years earn scholarships. But, um, you know, as far as standout transfers to me, I know Devin Carter's the big one offensively. I think defensively the guy that's really flying under the radar – and I think that the reason being is because of West Virginia's transfer additions last year in the defensive backfield. Yeah. We kind of talked about being highly regarded. Um, and then we saw how that played out. Both of those were misses. And, you know, Neil Brown even seemed to admit as much in his press conference. But I think that they've actually hit on this one. Even though it's from a group of five, we'll have to see how it plays out. But Montre Miller, I think, has a lot of speed, something that neither one of those guys they added last year had. And has done a really good job you know, not only against this group of five competition, but uh, Kent State played Georgia this year and played them almost, you know, closer than almost anybody this season. And when he has played those power five matchups, he's done a good job covering his man, actually. So I think he's got a good chance to be our – maybe our top corner this season even. Yeah, I would – I would take darn near anything back there right now. Yeah, I mean – I would well, take like, Anything's Bud, almost an upgrade. So. I would take Aaron Bud back there right now. <laughs> yeah, get anyone, anyone, anyone with a pulse. That I okay, I'm like I like the young guys last year because they finally started playing them. So I think that they're going to take a giant leap this year. I think Jacoby Spells is going to be a monster. Yes. Well, and and I'm excited about the thing that I'm excited about is they've been talked about adding speed and stuff, and they wanted to last year and kind of missed on that. But we know Jacoby Spells is fast. We know Wilson Lamp is fast, and Montre Miller is fast. So, you know, give me those three as our top three corners, and I think you're pretty solid there, especially speed-wise. We'll have to see if everything else holds up. But those three guys do have good speed. You got Aubrey Burks in the back, too. And Burks is great. Yeah, great young safety the highest graded safety in the Big 12, according to PFF on the season last year. So getting him there is going to be, you know, the defensive backfield, I know it's not saying much, but it certainly should improve. Like I said, it doesn't have to do much to do so, but it certainly should. Yeah, which is going to be funny because is our defensive line the weak spot going into this year? That's 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 what I'm – that's the thing. It seems like every time we get a one strong unit, we can't keep all the other levels, you know, right there on par. I'm worried about the linebacking core a little bit as well. So, I mean, at least we got guys returning in that room. Yeah, we do. I mean, we do. We do got returnees. Uh, I think Mike Martin. linebacker, of course, Lee Coba. Lee Coba is going to be good at the but the wheel linebacker. I'm a little worried about defensive line. Like you said, Sean Martin. I think he's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be the top guy on that defensive line this year. Yeah, he's going to be the it guy. But then who do you have after that? You got gotcha. Michael Lockhart. Well, I think we got a lot of bodies with potential. It just to me depends on who's going to step up there. I think uh, Mike Lockhart, Eddie V, you know, Asani Redwood. You got a lot of guys that have a lot of potential. So it's just like who's going to take the step and you know step up and be the guy there. Yeah, uh, that'll be so. I can't wait till spring ball gets around some fall ball. Yeah, 
we're getting close, inching closer, inching closer. That's why we kind of wanted to do a little off-season update podcast episode here with you guys. Had some off-season topics to talk about, you know, with coaching stage changes, transfers and stuff. And we're going to do more of these as spring football is getting pretty close now to starting up. And uh, we'll have plenty more to talk about then. But having said that, Brad, I know we talked coaching changes and transfers, but there's all kinds of news going on throughout the offseason. Anything in particular that you wanted to touch on that we didn't bring up here? Oh, God, man, off the top of my head. What do you got? Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe you got to remind me. Football-wise, you know, definitely I think that throughout the offseason, the topic a lot of it, people are going to be talking about is, of course, we know the defense has to improve, but we're going to be talking about the offense and how it's going to look, the new look of it. I know we've done some videos covering it here on the Country Roads webcast um, with the changes that are coming, going to be more run-heavy, probably more read option, RPO, triple option concepts, things like that. But I think also the personnel is definitely going to be a subject that we can talk about we talked about, you know, some of the wide receivers, which means having to place, replace the top four there. The only consistent on the offense really is the offensive line, but I think this has a chance to be one of the most experienced offensive lines West Virginia's had in some time. So since we talked about the defense a little bit, I just got to get your thoughts on the offense, particularly the quarterback and running back position. Running back absolutely loaded. You got four or five guys there. How do you think West Virginia's going to manage that? Maybe playing multiple at once, I don't know. And then quarterback, of course, it's two guys, Garrett Green, Nico Marchiole. Um, if you're going into the spring, who would you have as your number one heading into spring football? I'll answer the last one first, going into spring football. I'm happy with either one of them, man. Like, I'm just excited. They're both exciting players. They both got the it factor. Um, I I personally believe Nico's going to be next level, but Garrett Green has showed really, really good things in the time that he's been here. Um, a lot of it with his feet, but I think that he's got the potential to have the arm, too, if he's the guy and he gets the focus, you know. Um, so to either one of them, I think that we're going to be in good hands. Uh, I think that we should probably have probably the best running offense that West Virginia has seen in well over a decade and probably longer than that. Like this run game should mm-hmm. be ridiculous. If it's not, fire everybody. I, you've got a line that's been there for an eternity. You've got three back-to-back-to-back freshman All-Americans, right? Yep. <laughs> And you've got a four-star and a four-star. Like, no, no. If you don't, if you if you don't put almost three hundred yards on everybody every game with CJ Donaldson in the back, you have it's just unacceptable. So, better have the best running offense that I've ever laid my eyes on. So, if the defense can pull something together, then we've got a chance because you know I think that really tends to Neil Brown's football style. He's a very patient. Mm-hmm. less drives the better. He knows air raid, I guess. Um, he's always been a clock manager, man. He's always been, I'm going to use my time. So, Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, and I think that's what's setting this up to be a very intriguing offseason and, of course, a very intriguing 2023 football season, not only because the concerns of Neil Brown being on the hot seat and we know he has to win in order to keep his job, but I think it's a nice – contrast if you will the fact that the fan base is so down that it's almost to the point of apathy with this team while at the same time quietly Neil Brown is kind of building what seems like a football team that's really fit to the mold that he's trying been trying to get to during his whole time at West Virginia 
being leading into the run more. We've talked about his record, you know, 18 and four, I believe it is, when running for over 100 yards, undefeated when running for over 200 yards. And he's assembling, you know, an offense that really has the capabilities to do that. So I, th- I think it's very interesting to see how this is going to play out in 2023 for West Virginia when you're kind of just looking at it at that angle because it's like the fans and our, our interest is kind of dwindling and almost to the point where some people are apathetic and maybe not even looking forward to it. But it's like during that, you know, is it's the calm before the storm and finally they're going to turn the corner because it's going to either go one of two ways. Either the fans are going to get to say we were right or the fans are going to be absolutely shocked and this team's going to surprise them and be pretty decent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's all you can hope for, right? Like, that's the goal. And that's pretty much where we're at. And it's going to be, yeah, a true testament of Neil Brown could actually get it done. It's just really unfortunate that he's got to play Penn State at Penn State and then turn around and catch Pittsburgh a few games later at home. Yeah. God, if he does it, if he does it, then, like, God, I will eat all all the crow in the world. But, uh, yeah, me too. And I I also want to say, you know, like, uh, to that point, he's 18 and four. I'm pretty sure he was, I know he was undefeated going into the season with rushing over 100 yards because it's something you talked about so frequently. And oh, yeah. like it, it, it was such a great stat. And that might even be a testament to how bad our defense was this year. Like Neil Brown had six, I think, because I think he was 16 and 0 going into it, which means he had about six 100 plus yard rushing games, which like he had not really had at WVU mm-hmm. all that much. And like he not wasn't he wasn't just playing a hundred yard rushing games. He probably had like four two hundred yard rushing games. You know, it was crazy. So like if we had any semblance of defense, and that statistic probably holds better. Yeah. Well, and that's the when you're looking at it, and that's with even though the offense was relatively balanced for the most part, I think it was certainly an offense that was probably more predicated to be pass heavy, especially with Graham Harrell and JT Daniels, and probably a lot of their concepts and stuff were more leaning that way. So I'm I'm just interested to see with the pieces that they have and a whole offseason to be able to make like this change that we're talking about, what the offense is going to look like for one with you know that run style and how much more successful can it be and what that can mean for West Virginia because like you said the record speaks for itself when they do run the ball well so I don't know it's, it's really interesting to see how it's going to play out well when they've ran the ball well and had a any modicum of respect to the defense Man. they've won <laughs> you know like the years before that they've won That's all those true. games and so it's just like can they do it again this year and I think absolutely so you know and I will say the one thing that I haven't mentioned is they've got some unknowns at the wide receiver is the best we can call them. But that can be really high or really low. When you got people like Rodney Gallagher and Traylon Ray and um, Carter in the wings that you just don't know what they're going to give you, you know, I'll, I'll roll my dice on that because I've got a great running back room and I've got a good offensive line. Because, you know, if they get me, like, they get me one random catch that just goes for 45 yards or you get me a touchdown out of nowhere, then, like, Man, that's so much momentum that a running offense is just like teams can't keep up with that, you know? Yeah, and it's like we said with the guys on defense, I think that those guys have, you know, speed more so than maybe some guys in the past recent few years have had for West Virginia at that position. So at least you're adding playmaking potential there. And I think as far as the guys throwing it to them, we've, you know, mentioned it before and I can't, you know, not mention it again. I'm super excited to finally see a dual threat at quarterback that can hurt you with his arms or his legs, whether that ends up being Garrett Green or Nico Marchio. Although they have different running styles, both can make plays on the ground. So I'm excited for that. But also I think it bears to mention that it's going to be the first time, you know, in a long time, a 
West Virginia starting an actual high school recruit at quarterback. Um, I think the last one to start was Chris Chuganov, and you know the last one to start a season opener was Paul Millard back in 2014. So you're looking at basically a decade. And you know, if, you know, if Paul Millard was kind of on again, off again starter. I know he started that. 2013 season but you know that was a quarterback carousel and we know that season was a mess so really you're probably going back 2012 Gino as you know true you know high school recruit that started significant time at West Virginia as we know Chuganov was just a fill-in in 2017 so over a decade really since you started a high school recruit at quarterback so just another intriguing storyline to kind of look to um, as we get closer to spring football I guess yeah and how nice will it be that if one quarterback happens to have to come out of the game, we've got another quarterback that's a mirror copy going right back in. And I think there's something great to that when you got uh, knock on wood, you know, of course transfer portal open after spring, but potentially have two guys that you know either one can get it done for you. And I think look at the game against Oklahoma State uh, just to show you that, you know, Garrett Green started off playing good and then Nico came in and did what he had to do to close out that victory. So both those guys, I think, are guys that, to me, just have that winning factor, I guess you could call it. They seem like winners. They have that type of, you know, it factor mentality, it's I guess. Factor. Um, either one. Yep. Yep. I, mean, I think either it. one of those guys have it. But I uh, haven't said that, Brad. I guess uh, they'll pretty much get ready to wrap up this segment. But I uh, want to mention one more time, give Brad a follow on Twitter, as I said there, helping us out on the Country Roads webcast recruiting side a lot there and posting some good WVU content at Big Bubba Brad CRW for those of you on the audio side. But anything else you want to plug, Brad, before we get up out of here with this segment? Yeah, I want to plug my man Jordan in the Country Roads webcast. This guy's been out here killing it, putting it out on the bottom himself. Um you know, and he's been putting out quality content. So make sure you guys are liking that, hitting that like button, smashing the subscribe button, commenting it up because, you know, it's just talking about stuff and, you know, definitely, definitely deserves that shout out. So I appreciate that a lot, man. It means a lot. Uh, of course, you're one of the ones that helps it all go as well. So I couldn't do it without you and helping me uh, keep these podcast episodes on the rails and uh, appreciate you of course, for joining in in this segment here on season five, episode 154 of the country roads webcast. So there you have it, Mountaineer Nation. I guess that will pretty much get ready to wrap us up here on Season 5, Episode 154 of the CRW Podcast as we try to cover some of the offseason news and notes that's been going on for WVU throughout the offseason as they had some changes on the coaching staff, brought in some new transfers as well as some other players left the program. The Mountaineer roster continues to shape up here as we get closer to spring football. The spring semester now underway at WVU, so it'll be here before we know it, and the spring game will be here, and then following that, it's just a short countdown to get into fall camp and into the 2023 football season but in the meantime just want to say really appreciate you guys for tuning into this episode whether it was on the video side or the audio side and wanted to continue to let you guys know that we do have other podcast episodes releasing as well that are covering the West Virginia basketball season those are the CRW Hoops podcast episodes you'll see in your feed if you're listening on the audio side and if you're here subscribe to the Country Roads webcast channel you can find them under the CRW Hoops podcast playlist rather than the CRW proper playlist playlist that you will find these football podcasts under and like I said you can also find those over on the WV Sports Now YouTube channel and on the web at wvsportsnow.com be on the lookout on the YouTube channel for 
West Virginia sports news updates, the little short form videos. Like I said, if you're on the audio side, be sure and hop over to the YouTube where you get a little bit more extra content there than the long form football and basketball podcast episode you'll find here in the audio feed. But appreciate you guys tuning in there as well, just as we do here on the video side. But having said that, I guess that will pretty much get ready to wrap us up here on season five, episode 154 of the CRW podcast. Be sure and follow the podcast on Twitter if you're not already at WVU Country Roads. Like I said, if you're watching this video version, drop us a like before you head out and hit the subscribe button if you're a Mountaineer fan and haven't already. But I appreciate you guys for tuning into this one. As always, I'm Jordan Cruz. And until next time, let's go Mountaineer. If you really want to know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those